Welcome to the 212 podcast. Here we are to talk about the events industry with the people running the show. Our guest today is an event pro having worked across multiple countries, across multiple sectors. She has fought her way to the top with a Muhammad Ali punch. She has filled every type of role you can imagine, including but not limited to working at South by Southwest, Wilderness uh, and Lovebox. I think I hear the pitter-patter of her walking down the red carpet. Here she is, Tamara Kendall. How are you and where are you today, Tamara? Hello, Dan. Um, I am in London, lockdown three. Um, yeah, it's uh, at the time of recording, we, it's kind of in the middle of this lockdown. Not sure when restrictions will ease, but um, we do hope that it's, it's, you know, we'd rather it be a long one and the last one than, than a short-lived one. But uh, so, yeah, all's well. I'm doing it. I'm fine. I think you'll be the, uh, the the minority share in uh, in people in the UK feeling that way. I think a lot of people are really annoyed about the uh, the lockdown and want want everyone to to get out. But um, it's it's all for the best, I guess, for the industry that we work in, which is which is events. Obviously, the last kind of year, I guess, would be a really difficult time. So instead of talking about the end part, um, I think we'll just start at the beginning. Um, and just uh, how did you actually get into events and, and, and what was your first kind of position? And give us a little like summary of, of, of how you got to uh, where you are. Right. Well, um, I suppose it's a it's a relatively indirect route. But I think I, I find that um, that is the case with a lot of people who get into events. Um uh, so I started out, I was working um, as an account manager at a national radio station, um, it was Virgin Radio, the original Virgin Radio, and I kind of had a side responsibility for the station's co-promotes of tours. So, you know, Virgin Radio presents uh, the White Stripes or Arctic Monkeys, uh, Blondie, whatever, um, and also for the festivals. And uh, we were the kind of the radio partner for the V Festival and Isle of Wight Festival. Um, and we used to have uh, we used to do outside broadcasts on site from those festivals, and we would have this kind of um, VIP hospitality marquee where we sort of serve free booze and free food um, to our specially invited corporate guests and celebrities, and and we'd also have some of the festival acts that were you know playing the festival come and perform sort of pared down sets in the tent. Um, and I kind of got, engol- got involved with um, helping to plan and, and organise these and, and help run them on site. So and then it just turned out that I, I kind of enjoyed doing that far more than than sort of selling advertising airtime and sponsorships. And so, so much so that uh, I then decided to leave that and go freelance. Um, and then so, yeah, I left Virgin. I did actually leave with a couple of short projects from them. They were very kind and kind of gave me a couple of corporate hospitality events. One was kind of for the U2 tour at the time. And um, and again, the kind of the Isle of Wight corporate hospitality presence, that sort of thing. Did you want to did you did you want to get into radio? Was it kind of like do you just fall into um, all these different segues and, and found that you actually uh, really enjoyed it or? Well, I suppose it was I I'd actually was working in, in retail before that. Um, and then a friend of mine uh, who was who I was working with, um, she actually left and went to go work for a radio sales house. You know, kind of one of those companies that sells advertising for lots of um, independent local radio stations. And just she would just talk about, you know, how fun it was and, and you know, kind of the, the culture. And it was just so you know, different to anything I'd ever experienced, but it sounded great. I mean, 
sitting down for a start, you know, during your day was, was great because when you're in retail, you know, you're on your feet all day. Um, but it was it just sounded interesting. And so I, I decided to kind of pursue that as well. And and ultimately, you know, sales is sales, whether you're selling, you know, uh, dresses or hats or whatever, or you're selling airtime, the kind of the the the, the, the skills are relatively the same. So anyway, I was very lucky. I managed to get a, a position at, at Virgin Radio to do that. So it was kind of starting over again a little bit, but it was it was brilliant. And I, you know, there's some of the best years of my life. I loved it. The people were great. I loved the music. I loved the you know the station. And it was just you know it was just one of the most enjoyable times. And then you know obviously once we started getting involved with the festivals um, and you know sort of being exposed to that, I don't think I'd ever been to a festival at that point. I'd I'd been to live gigs, but not a festival. So. It was just a whole new world, and I and it just yeah loved it. How did that work with the with the partnerships itself? So did they just run mini events within within events? For, for the most part, they were they were just co-promotes. So you know when you see the poster and it says you know such and such promoter presents or you know so we would kind of get you know the Virgin Radio presents in terms of uh, we would promote the tours on air you know in exchange for whether it's just for some tickets or for, uh, in the case of the festivals, um, you know, we were actually then given a footprint on site to do our kind of VIP entertaining. So it was kind of mutually beneficial setup. But for, I mean, most of it is is the tours and it was just a bit of airtime for some tickets. Um, and I was kind of um, involved with making all of those things happen. So I'd be in touch with all the promoters for all the all the tours, you know, doing the deal basically to say, Okay, we'll do this many airtime spots in exchange for you know that many tickets or whatever. Yeah, you you mentioned your friend there, um, who kind of uh, helped you and got got you into it. Do you remember? Do you remember the first one? And if it was was it an anticlimax? Did you get to the, get to the event and was like, oh my god, what have I got myself into? So yeah, so it would have been uh, V Festival um, because it, it. I think we did V Festival first of all, and then we started doing Isle of Wight Festival. Um, but those were the only ones. And then it was I didn't get into other festivals until after I went freelance. Um, and then that would have been uh, the great escape, actually. I wonder with the the lockdown, you know, it's kind of that that old adage of, you know, if I had a bit of time, what I would do with it. Um, but um, here we are. Most of us are given the time and we're like a, a limp salad draped over the bed watching reruns of Coronation Street. Are you finding yourself <laughs> uh, kind of looking at those other projects or looking at different things and, and different avenues to go down? Um, I suppose in a way, I mean, I, I've, I've, I really, I've been a little bit selective of the sort of work that I've looked into. I mean, aside from just kind of, you know, especially, especially with the first initial lockdowns, I, um, you know, I just wanted to, you know, kind of, I, I guess, just do the right thing and, and, and just, you know, I sort of stayed stayed in and sort of you know did what, did what we were supposed to do and and I was lucky enough that I as a freelancer I'd kind of put a little bit of, a bit aside you know for a rainy day so I had a bit of savings that I could kind of rely on for a while um and so I didn't really think about it at first and then obviously as they went as the lockdowns went on and and things got worse um you know I did start to think about about what next but I don't know I I, I very much wanted to kind of keep in the uh in in the events industry um i mean there are no guarantees of course um but it is starting to look more positive uh for 2021 summer 2021 yeah i read the other day uh, it was on a forum uh that said about kind of uh, with events professionals um and it said do not 
uh, take a pay cut because it sets a precedent. Um, does that is that kind of how you feel about it as well? I think it's one of those things that I can kind of see both sides to it. You know, on the one hand, you know, people kind of need to, to need to do what they need to do in order to survive. You know, people have got bills to pay, rent, mortgage or whatever. You know, it, on I think there are a lot of us out there. There's an enormous amount of talent that, that is out there because of, you know, because of all of this. Um, and, you know, we, we are maybe having to look at jobs, you know, not only inside our industry, but perhaps outside the industry and, and possibly even look at, at jobs that are perhaps a bit more junior to what our skills and experience levels are pre-pandemic, and, and that includes pay levels. But it, the, the worry is, I suppose, that you know you, it might bring down pay, lo- pay levels in general. Um, it could even push younger people, less exper- experienced people out, and uh, you know, might set a, a, a precedent you know, in terms of kind of you know, project budgets that go forward post-pandemic might end up being you know, kind of brought back down to a level that was, you know, it might push us back a decade, who knows. But at the same time, like I said, everyone has, has ex- you know, their own experiences. And I don't think it's unfair to overlook someone just because they are, quote unquote, overqualified. Um, you know, the struggle is real and people are, are going to be, you know, in various levels of desperation um, and they'll be guided by their personal circumstances. So and also, I guess some people just need to need the work to sort of feel useful, you know, and for their own mental health and to kind of keep their hand in. And, you know, some of our skills are like muscles and you've got to keep exercising them. So it, I can I can definitely see both sides. And I think, you know, perhaps for, for me, um, I've, you know, I have I have been selective as to what I've been looking at rather than just kind of going for, for anything and everything that's come along. And I guess all countries are dealing with uh, with this in a different way, you know. Um, here we are, um, us two, with with strange, twonky English accents now. Um, <laughs> um, where are you primarily based at the moment? Is 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 the UK? But you do, you, and you have worked in multiple countries. Do you do you get a sense from your friends in other countries that uh, that they're dealing with it in a in a better way, or that they're on a faster track to to getting it back up and running? I think every every country has to deal with it differently um, and they have to take their own kind of local and national circumstances into account. I, I, I would 100% say that, that you know, um, your own Australia and New Zealand, you know, they've done far, far better in, in managing um, the pandemic than a lot of other countries. And because of that, it's meant that they can kind of return back to normal uh, faster, although I mean, in the southern hemisphere as well. Obviously, you know, you're kind of in in your summer uh, now, so that that sort of helps. It, you know, we've kind of gone into into our winter, which made it, which didn't help matters. But um, but yeah, I, I mean, I mostly work in the UK. I I do have, or or certainly have had, um, the regular work at South by Southwest in the states, and 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 you know, the the story coming from the states is 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 varying from state to state, from what I gather. Um, and you know we, we kind of know what the numbers are like over there thinking about that with with south by southwest and your work in the uk um how do you think events are run differently uh, within the two countries um uh, this is kind of pre-pandemic i guess is is how do you think it changes within those different um areas and and are there any key areas that you you can see um the difference between the two 
Uh, well, I suppose I can only really reference the US um, or, or actually really only reference South by Southwest. Um, it is one of, and again, this is all pre-pandemic kind of um, thinking and we'll get back to it. But um, it's it's one of the most resourced events I've ever worked at. Um, you know, great people. They're all professional and passionate about the event, you know, and, and they kind of understand that, it, you know, it does take a village, as they say, to to make things happen. Um, in terms of kind of just, you know, the general overall planning of an event or, you know, dealing with venues or local authorities and all of that sort of thing, all those kind of machinations are the, are the same over there as they are here. In terms of Europe, I've I've had work in, in Krakow and Poland, in Moscow, um, Barcelona. They were all kind of events that were pre-produced and pre-planned in the UK. And then you, you move on to site for the event itself. So all of that, again, is, is much the same. Obviously, you have to add perhaps some local translators. <laughs> but uh, for the most part, you know, an event is an event, you know, wherever you go. And, and it, I suppose the main differences come down to resources. And I, although I do recall that there was definitely some interesting challenges when we were working to in Moscow, where, you know, they have quite a few um, strict visa regulations just to enter Russia. And there's lots of paperwork and you know, you even have to, you know, you have to get your finger, get your fingerprints done and, you know, and then there's, you know, all the kind of the carne paperwork for, for moving your, your production kit and your equipment across borders, all that sort of thing. So, you know, it was definitely a bit more challenging than than some of your, I guess, your Western countries. But but all these differences are, are, are fascinating to learn about and they make the event that much more interesting to work on. Well, you mentioned there as well the uh, the importance of of enjoying the event, and I, I guess a lot of people don't actually in, enjoy their jobs. We've all got friends that don't really enjoy their jobs. How important is that to to enjoy where you're working or who you're working for, uh, and does it does it make you want to run uh, run the event or run the project better? Um, I think it does have a, a big a, a big effect. Um, I. I, I know what everyone says, and then I definitely feel it that, you know, working in events from the outside looking in, a lot of people, I suppose, feel like it's it's quite glamorous or whatever. But it, it really is a lot of hard work and, and, and long hours, um, especially when you get onto site. But, you know, yeah. And of course, you know, if you really believe in the event and you and you, you get on with the people that you work with, it does make it so much better. But you can even say that for any job, I suppose. But it really is. It's. I don't think any of us necessarily do it just for the sake of it or just for the money, because you know there are a lot of jobs in our industry sadly don't pay amazingly well. You know, you're kind of doing it because you believe in the event and you, you know, you you don't want to let your colleagues down and you believe in perhaps the brand or the company or whatever it is that the job is for. And and there's a definite beginning, middle, and and end with with events. So it's 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 hugely rewarding as well. If you if you weren't doing events, what do you think you'd be doing? Wow. Um, do you know, I, <laughs> I have no idea. Um, like I said, I kind of started life working in, in retail. And I suppose originally I wanted to be, you know, this kind of uh, international buyer where you basically go around and spend other people's money <laughs> and go to fashion shows and that kind of thing. Yeah, I got I got fairly disillusioned with that pretty quickly on, um, especially, I suppose, once I kind of got into that, you know, so working in in radio and, and, and working on the events, it just it, it just lit things up for me. You know, I think I kind of found found my people, you know, I sort of found my 
the thing that I really enjoyed doing. Um, but you know, starting out, it was it was uh, it wasn't straightforward starting out. It took a little a little while to to get going. You've worked within the industry. You mentioned the radio and the festivals there. What sector do you think you enjoy the most? And is there a sector that you that, that you're kind of intrigued by and that you want to uh, get involved with in the future? Well, I definitely enjoy uh, the festivals and the live gigs the most. Um, and even the jobs that I've done where I've done some kind of, you know, quite a lot of brand activations, you know, this kind of experiential activations. Um, so they, 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 you know, so they're kind of mini events, which are great and, and a lot of fun. But definitely the, the live, live gigs and, and the festivals that I enjoy the most. Given retail that you started in, would you would fashion events be something that you'd want to get into? Well, actually, I haven't really had the opportunity to, to do a to produce a fashion show or something. I, I That would be. That would be interesting, I suppose. Um, I, I suppose one thing that I, I've never done that I'd be quite interested to, to do is to work on a on a tour, just because uh, you know, just being a fan of music and and you know, quite enjoying traveling. Um, but that's yeah, that's that's not actually come my way to date. But you never know, it could do. Did you grow up in a musical family? Is that where your passion for music came from, or is that just something that you you found? Um growing up not musical in the sense of uh well so my my parents didn't play instruments but there was there was always a, a piano in the house and I've got sort of two older sisters and they both played um one perhaps more seriously than the other um but then uh and and my brother and I um because we we're quite closer in age we went to we started learning instruments at school so okay so I suppose I started I kind of played piano a bit from maybe, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, something like that. And then I started to learn um, to play the flute when I was about 10. Um, and I was always interested in, like, I always had a kind of a thing for um, listening to the radio. So I kind of always listened to the charts and I was, you know, and, and that did start quite at quite a young age. And that was perhaps influenced by my my older sisters who, you know, they would play their music and I'd be into that. So I guess in, in that sense, um, music was kind of around, um, but more because of because of that. So my sisters and then, you know, me sort of listening to the radio and, and, you know, and then learning to play some instruments. And then I guess it's that usual thing, probably around 11, 12 is when you you kind of first start getting a bit more perhaps discerning about what you listen to and then yeah and then it just sort of grows from there and then and I do remember kind of having quite a strong sort of fascination with um with British music and that's what uh really got me interested in in coming coming to this country um you grew up in America and then you came over to the UK or vice versa yeah, so so my strange Twonky accent, as you call it, comes from the fact that I, I spent my I spent my childhood uh, in the US, and then I came over to the UK, and uh, yeah, so now what is it they call it, Mid Atlantic? I don't know. It, I, I don't really notice what I sound like until people bring it up in conversations like this. So and I'm sure it sounds <laughs> it sounds really bizarre. <laughs> Does uh, do you have your siblings still over there? Did they they come over to the UK as well? And did they find uh, like a path into the arts as well, or have they gone in a completely different um, different way? So they're all still in, in the US, um, and they are all actually in 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 academia. Um, 
well, most of us. So my elder sister's a professor at university. Um, my second elder sister kind of had, had a few different careers. Um, she went into midwifery, but then now kind of does some sort of lecturing and she's going to kill me for not knowing exactly how to explain <laughs> what she does. But <laughs> um, and, but my brother, um, he actually went on to do a, a music degree, I think. And I know he went to do a master's, possibly even a, a doctorate. Again, sorry if I've got that wrong, um, bro. Um, but he now teaches, uh, he teaches music um, at, a, at a, a hit local middle school. So he's still very much but much into that. Um, and he's multi-instrumentalist. Um, and so, yeah, he, he kind of knows more about all that sort of thing. But but they are but they're all teachers, basically. Um, do you remember do you remember the um, first albums that you heard that your siblings were playing that, that kind of got you into that into music? Do you know what? I don't remember the first album. And that's and that, I know it sounds really wishy-washy, but it mainly comes down to um that I and I don't know if you if you had it in Australia you, you must have done um but I joined one of those those music clubs um in the US it was called Columbia House I think over here it was the Britannia Music Club um you know one of those ones where you could buy sort of 20 records for a penny or something and then you know then you then you only had to buy three albums or something you know full price in, in within the year something like that I can't remember I'm, I definitely joined it I'm going to incriminate myself but I joined it underage and so uh I I don't think I ever fulfilled that but but anyway I do remember just kind of mostly buying compilations uh tunes Um, so you didn't even have one you actually had numerous for your first yeah it would have been it would have probably been I mean if I did buy anything before that I genuinely can't remember um the experience of it but I definitely remember joining this this kind of Columbia House uh record how does that work the Columbia House I don't even know if they still exist now, but um, it was uh, I, I, maybe I saw an ad for it in a magazine. Or so. I honestly, I, I don't know. You, you, you basically you write in, you sign up and then uh, you choose the albums that you want. I think I remember you had to kind of cut out the, the stamps or the stickers or whatever, the album covers that you wanted, stick them on on the form and send it back. Um, and then they and then it, they all got posted to you All the albums got posted to you. Yeah, and I think you could do that. I don't know how often in a year you could do that, but the, the kind of the deal was in signing up for it was that you then had to buy, I think you then had to buy, you know, three albums or something at full price um, within the year. And of course, when you're 10, 11, 12 or whatever age you are, you, you know, a full price album is like, it's a fortune. <laughs> um, yeah. You couldn't I, have I, even I imagined that Spotify would exist back then. Yeah, I mean, steady on now. We won't get too much into into age, but um, but yeah, it definitely that was not a thing um when I was growing up, not not at all. Um, so yeah, that was the only way to experience music mainly was through through the radio and through you know siblings or your friends and their their brothers and sisters or you know that was that was the main way. There's there's perks that we talk about within uh, the events industry, and I think more it comes from the people that you're around. Thinking again, you mentioned it earlier that. Uh, people think of the the glamorization of of events. What do you think the best thing that you've got out of events is in terms of like a is there a gift or a gig that you got to that you thought if I hadn't worked in events I wouldn't wouldn't have, wouldn't have got that opportunity? Oh wow! I mean, I suppose on on an kind of overarching level, um, the best gift and the most kind of rewarding thing is that 
you know, not many jobs have this thing where, where what you're working on has a definite beginning, middle and an end. You know, there's a kind of a payoff to it. You know, you plan the event, you execute the event and then, you know, you kind of take it down and move on to the next one. But whilst you're doing it, there is a moment at every every one, every event that you do, big or small, where the doors open or it starts or whatever it is that you're doing. And you can kind of step back and go, oh, yeah, you know, I did that or I had a part. In, you know, to play in making this happen and this, so there's an enormous satisfaction in 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 seeing the reward you know the fruits of your labor in that sense um but working in the events that i've worked in specifically yeah there, there are so many artists and so many acts that i definitely would not have have seen had i not worked in this 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 event i mean uh, this um industry wow who's the, uh, who's the best who's the best and worst that you've had um so some of the best ones I, uh, that I work I mean obviously all the events that all the gigs that I've worked on are, are the best <laughs> she says being diplomatic um, I think seeing so seeing seeing Fontaine's DC at Citadel in 2019 they were kind of on the third stage but you know sort of on it around I don't know 5 p.m or so but it felt like a headline show it just the, the atmosphere in the room was amazing uh, I saw David Bowie in the Who at Isle of Wight Festival in 2004 that was amazing um you know uh and 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 the the festivals like south by southwest and the great escape you you get to see lots of big acts in small venues or or even just you know at the starts of their careers you know you're part of that kind of just being able to discover them um so i remember you know at at south by you know i saw iggy pop and um depeche mode and you get people like prince playing but then like you get to see people at the start of their career, sort of like you know, Billie Eilish or James Blake or Idols or, um, you know, know, Kendrick Lamar, you know, sort of acts that are big, you know, big names now, but when they first get, you know, the first time they play, you know, they're playing in some small venue somewhere. The same goes for The Great Escape, you know, um, some Alt-J or, I don't know, Wolf Alice, Royal Blood, um, Stormzy, uh, Inhaler, disclosure you know all those sorts of acts that that you definitely are seeing you get that privilege of being able to see them up close in personal in a way and so that yeah when you get the chance to actually go and see some music you make you take advantage of it quite often when you're working in an event though you are working so you know there are things to do behind the scenes constantly so you don't always have time to to see everything that you'd like to but that's you know you are there to put on the event and, and to make it happen and keep it safe and running smoothly. You're not there to, you're not there as a, as a punter. And I think, isn't that funny that, that people uh, who are in the events industry, uh, they, they don't mention, I mean, you've mentioned the who and David Bowie, but um, don't you, most events people talk about the, the ones that are up and coming and, and you mentioned a, a long list there. And I can think of with the great escape when, when I was working there, of Idols, Aluna George, Wolf Alice is another example for for, for for me, and also, you know, Bastille playing in um, the Green Door store, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get to see them in small small areas, and then you get to see them blow up, and that and that must yeah. that's just a great feeling, isn't it? It's it's amazing, it's brilliant. I I actually remember, um, yeah, with all of those those acts, I mean, you know, seeing them in, in kind of tiny venues that maybe hold you know, a hundred people at, at most, or, you know, maybe, maybe three or 400, but generally it's, it's the kind of 
you know, 100, 150, 200, um, you know, capacity venues, you know, pubs, that sort of thing. So then to then maybe the next year even see them playing at a festival, you know, at a, a, you know, whether it's in the middle of the afternoon or, you know, into the evening or even headlining is is incredible. And, you know, or, or winning things like, um, you know, the Mercury Prize for their music or, you know, it just it is great. And, and I do remember seeing it. I, that definitely happened with um, with Ben Howard. I, I saw him playing at uh, The Great Escape. And I happened to be standing next to his manager at that at that gig. And then at the end of it, and I, I just got chatting to him and we were talking about I, the fact that I worked at South By came up. And I did caveat it saying I, yeah, my, South By job at South By, my job was never to book acts. But I did kind of say, oh, I worked there. And I think, you know, it would be Ben Howard should definitely apply for the next one. And I think they did. And I think he he got accepted. And then but even in between that sort of great escape in the May whatever year that was, I forget now, but then the following uh, March at South By, his career had already started to really blow up. So, but yeah, it, it is, it's enormously rewarding and and, uh, and a privilege. So not sitting on the, uh, on the fence uh, tomorrow, what is the worst uh, person you've looked after or seen um, in terms of a flop? Oh, um, I thought I managed to swerve that question. Um, you tried. I, I did try. Um, God, let's see. But I think I think the trouble is, quite often when these things happen, you 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 either just deal with it and get on with it, and then when the event's over, you move on and try to you know forget about it, or you mentally block it from your mind. Um, there were definitely there was one brand activation I worked on uh, in it was it was a it was in Sheffield. Um, and there were some artists, do you know, I'm not going to name it, but there were some artists there that were, um, they, they were definitely behaving in a much more diva fashion than they kind of had any right to be, um, considering the gig was quite small and they weren't, they were up and coming, but they certainly weren't household names at that point. Um, and then, you know, just for health and safety, they, one of, one of the artists was renowned for, um, always, uh, inviting audience audience members up on stage or basically just in, in inviting a kind of a, a stage rush and we had we knew about this and we'd kind of said you know by the way you can't do that for various health and safety and, and logistical reasons but of course you know they got into the moment of the gig and they did and it and so you know there are moments like that where best laid plans you know don't always go the way you'd like them to but you just have to roll with punches and deal with things as, as you're faced with it. And that's where people are kind of guess who putting, you know, does he wear glasses? Does he have a, a, a moustache uh, trying to pinpoint the exact uh, person that you're talking about? But uh, how do you actually <laughs> how do you deal with with situations like that? It's so difficult uh, from an ad hoc point of view. You know, we're always kind of talking about being proactive in events. But ultimately, there's a lot of it is being reactive on the day, isn't it? It is. I think, you know, you obviously the longer you, you do this sort of thing, the, the more um, scenarios you can kind of imagine or predict and preempt. Um, but there are there's always going to be something that comes up that you, that, you know, just hits you and you have no idea. You don't know, like, where did that come from? Um, so I guess the main thing is really just, uh you know, if you've got a great team and you've got great communication with that team, 
um, then if something happens, you just immediately know, you know, whether it's you, you yourself that needs to needs to step in and deal with it or you know who to call um, or who to 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 speak to to kind of put the wheels in motion um, to sort the problem out. So, yeah, a lot of it really comes down to that that, that sort of the pre-planning and the relationships that you've built up and and them just having a, a, a thorough understanding of the event and, and how it's supposed to run and, um, you know, making sure, especially when it comes to health and safety, making sure you know um, what the what the kind of the limits are and the parameters are um, and just seeing that through. But, yeah, it ultimately comes down to the people you work with. What is your favourite <laughs> event that you work for? I suppose from a from a personal level in terms of uh, the programming, Citadel was always uh, my favourite, um, just because it just it was you know it, it's on a Sunday. It's um, um, the 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 artists that were that were were booked were kind of more up my street than others. But um, what does but it involve term- more that what does it what does Citadel uh, involve more than other events that you've worked at? What makes it unusual? Oh, it's not actually that it's that different because it, Citadel uh, um, ha- sits on the the third day of three in the same location as Lovebox. So it um, there wasn't a lot of extra. It's not like it was a standalone event that you had to do kind of extra planning for, so to speak. It There were some tweaks that you had to make for it. Um, because of the programming differences to, to Lovebox and the audience difference and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, because you planned it alongside Lovebox, you know, it's when you get to that day, particularly, and it being the third of three days of, of the festival, you you can kind of relax a little bit by then because, you know, you're, you're, you're almost there. You know, you've almost you've almost finished. Um, it's usually tends to be, you know, it's a lot more chilled in that sense. Um, how is the uh, how's the events calendar looking for you? I know it's really hard at the moment to try and even um, lock in people for for contracts or, but have you got any projects coming up that you're excited about or or, or events that you're excited to actually get back into contact with to try and um, pull through for for I guess 2022 or or the back end of 2021? Um, well, so I suppose in terms of future work, there's 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 nothing I can kind of really talk about at this stage. I'm, I'm kind of actually waiting, waiting to hear on on a couple of things, um, just because there is still so much uncertainty in the UK. There are kind of some conversations that are are ongoing, um, not least of which with the government as well, in terms of uh, uh, helping the industry to, to 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 get back on its feet or or to be to to have the backing that it needs to to have the confidence to go ahead. Um, and hopeful for our industry and even for this summer. I mean, in the UK, although we, we've not done great, I think, in sort of handling the pandemic up to now, the, the good news out of out of our country is that the, the vaccine rollout was going really well. And, you know, I think, at, you know, obviously at the time of recording, we're, we're approaching a quarter of the population having been vaccinated now. So, you know, th- there is a lot of kind of positivity around for the summer and and there is an enormous um, appetite out there for people you know they are just itching to get back to whether it's live music or theatre or, or or that sort of thing so I think you know art, the arts industry live industry 
you know, once we are able to, to, to run again, it's going to be full steam ahead. And I think, you know, we will recover really quickly. It's just, you just hope that not too much damage is done up to that point in order to allow uh, allow it to happen. So that's where uh, my positivity comes from, is, is, is the future, but as a general future. But for me, yeah, there's conversations bubbling away, not not entirely sure what's going to happen but i you know remain hopeful you you mentioned the positivity there um which is which is great because i think uh everyone kind of needs it um at the moment and in in these really confusing times some people have kind of found the benefits of uh being positive in in the midst of of chaos i guess that's finding time to spend with their family, to spending time with themselves to, to kind of assess uh, where they're at and, and what they, they want to do just to reevaluate in, in some capacity within their, within their life. Uh, what positives have you taken rather than um, just in, from a, a work perspective? Um, are there any positives that you've, you've found uh, with these, these lockdowns and, and with the current situation? I suppose the, the main positive is that and and, you know a lot of people have found this to different degrees but that just just that time to kind of sit back and and step away from your life a little bit because you know quite often when you're just that busy and you're just on that that you know that treadmill you don't kind of get to see what's going on and, and the years just you know months and years just kind of slip by so being able to just kind of um sit back and and appreciate the, the little things in your life and and also I say spending time with friends and family obviously maybe not physically with in, in lots of cases um, but kind of having that time to communicate um, more has been great um, I, I suppose last summer I can't remember the last time I had a summer off so um, it was kind of, kind of nice to sort of um, have a have a quiet summer in that sense obviously not an ideal situation and you you know you wouldn't wish ill on anybody but um you know we had a glorious summer last summer so just reading books and you know chilling out and uh, you know trying to to learn new things I've, I've tried to start teaching myself a bit of French you know I've uh, even picked up picked up the guitar you know that kind of thing just little things that you get to do that I suppose I've never had had that much time to do but um yeah, I suppose those are the those are the sorts of positives, but I don't know. Enough is enough. You know, I think everyone is really much very much ready to to get back to a, a normality. Has it allowed you to think about the festivals or the events that you would like to work at um, in the future? Like any any like dream festival that you would really uh, love to work at? Um, I suppose the one that I still haven't worked at that I would quite like to is is Glastonbury and that I suppose it's mostly mostly come out of uh, um, the fact that the, the, t- the timing has always clashed with other work that I've had I mean obviously there's a case of whether or not they would would take me on <laughs> but but if they say if they were um, in the last several years probably oh, I don't know eight nine maybe even ten years now it's the, the t- it, when it sits is, is clashed with with work other work that I've had um so I suppose my first when I started out in events my 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 hit list was Glastonbury and South by Southwest and obviously I've been able to make South by happen which is great um I don't know um um 
blue dot or 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 community or truck or um all together now in ireland or um you know black deer or you know quite a few of that and then as i said tours that's the other thing have you uh, have you listened to emily evis's uh desert island discs I haven't. No, I'm aware of it. And um, yeah, it was one of those ones on my kind of to do list to 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 check out. But no, I haven't yet. And I think everyone should kind of listen to that as a a, if you do work within the industry, just the 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 person that created the festival to then pass on all of their knowledge to uh, their um, their child and then they take on the, the mantle and then they have a whole different approach to it but still keep the core values involved. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, she is just one of the most inspirational people uh, in our industry. Well, full stop. Um, but, yeah, it, uh, it's definitely, like I said, it's, it's, it's on the list to listen to. Maybe I'll do it today when we get off this call. That's it. <laughs> What would you say to uh, to someone that wants to get into the events industry? Wow, um, it's it's uh, it's very competitive, <laughs> um, and it may well be more so after this pandemic. But um, but it's definitely the the people that I suppose I find that have have really done the best out of it are just those that that just kind of have that that can do attitude. Um, that belief in what they're doing um you know so when I when I started it was um I suppose after working you know I said when I when I kind of had gone freelance and and that was you know it was really hard at the start of that I did I I had a couple of projects as I said from the radio station when I left but then I, I really had to generate my own work and um and I would just kind of get whatever contracts I could I could for the first couple of years and sort of but then I kind of created uh, a couple of my own uh, events, a couple of um, outdoor charity fundraising gigs from scratch um, that I worked on. And then uh, and then I actually and then I went to, to work on, on The Great Escape for the first time. And actually, that was the first time I worked for them. It was volunteering, um, but they did actually to end up taking me on as a kind of a venue sponsorship sponsorship rep just because of the experience that I'd had already with client handling, etc., um, but that turned out to be my only volunteer work, which is great. And it immediately sort of led on to that same summer uh, working as a sponsorship rep at sort of Love Box and Global Gathering and a few other events. And then, but that but that first job, that working from TG, it did lead on to the paid seasonal work that I got for South by. Um, I mean, I suppose having U.S. citizenship helped as well. But um, but then, you know, so those two that all then led on to they became repeat contracts which is great um at least until coronavirus cancelled everything but um and then and then that experience then also led on to other production and project managing work on other festivals but as but for other types of events as i said the kind of brand activations experiential things um so i kind of so anyone starting out really it's it's i would definitely say if you can if you can get away with it you can afford it or you can you've got a situation that allows you to volunteer it's definitely worth doing that first you not only get experience under your belt but you kind of get your face out there and 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 the main thing is is to shine when you do it just just you know work hard do whatever is asked of you with a smile 
um, you know, and and try to go over and above and beyond and just, you know, what else can I do? Can I help with this? Can I help with that? Because that's what gets remembered, because I know that certainly when I have gotten to a position of where I then need to um, hire people and and build a team, those are the people that I remember and that I go back to. Um, and then that so they then get taken on and then they get paid work and then their career can grow from there. So it, it, it really is. It, it's not for everybody. You, you definitely have to be organized. You've got to be disciplined. You can have fun and what have you. But as long but you might still need to get up at, you know, five or six in the morning or whatever to, to then do another 16, 18, 20 hour day. You know, so it, it, it can be a lot of hard work. But as I said, it can be quite rewarding as well. And I think that's uh, that's where we leave it. So I think uh, hearing that is uh, a little mix of hard work, um, a little stir of discipline and, and trying to have a little bit of fun in the meantime whilst doing 20 hour days. Um, Absolutely. Events, that's, you just that sums it up. That's events. <laughs> events really is a tricky industry. But you as, as Tamara's mentioned throughout the podcast, there are um, uh, there are multiple, um, you know, perks that you do get with it and those moments uh, uh, are priceless in a way you know um, you, you can't kind of uh, you can't buy those moments they're they're really special um, to the individual so um, Tamara Kendall thank you very much uh, for joining us today um, uh, and good luck um, in in the coming uh, season uh, with events thank you thank you very much for having me thanks Tamara